How's it, everyone? Welcome to Discuss Shane. I'm your host, Shane. And if you love sports, know about sports, don't have a clue about sports, or even want to know a thing or two about sports, this is the podcast for you. So we have about a month left of the NBA season. So as we all know, the regular season is almost done. And that's pretty much it. And then playoffs, and then obviously the finals, and then offseason. That's kind of how it goes for the NBA. So every year, the NBA always gives out awards to certain players to, I guess, give them props, give them credit for their season, regular season, and just to, you know, give them credit for what they did, what they accomplished, so on and so forth. So today, I'll be giving my NBA awards predictions I'll be talking about the usual awards, you know, like MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year. And then I'll be giving some awards that, you know, don't get talked about, that aren't officially NBA awards, but they should be talked about because, you know, it's important to talk about these things. So let's get to it. So for MVP... Most valuable player. Now, this word value, right, gets thrown around a lot. People say, you know, it's usually the stories combined with the stats, you know. How what are the narratives around this player? What are the narratives around this around this player's team? How much team success they have, you know, aka what's the seed of their team? And which a big thing that plays into it, which shouldn't play into it, is the conference the team the player the player plays in for example when lebron was in the east he didn't win a lot of mvps as which he should have because he played for the east and the east is seen as the weaker division the weaker conference so it also takes in yeah team success but also takes into stats the county numbers the box score numbers just stuff like that and it encompasses everything into this one award even though the word value is, you know, it's it's interpreted in different ways. Some people have Chris Paul as their MVP, even though he doesn't have the stats, obviously, as, you know, an MVP type of player should have. But off of based off of value, you would say it's Chris Paul because the Suns, they didn't even make the playoffs despite, you know, going undefeated in the bubble. They still didn't even make it to the playoffs. They didn't even make it into the play-in game. So... That's why people say it's Chris Paul because the Suns are the second seed, not just in the West, but in the entire NBA. So they go from not even making it to the playoffs last year, not even close to making the playoffs last year, to already being the second seed in the entire NBA just by adding. Of course, you know, you have Jay Crowder in there, but the main, the biggest addition or acquisition the Suns had was trading for Chris Paul. But this is my show. This is my podcast. So I say who I want to say. So who I have for MVP is none other than the center for the Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic. Now Jokic is averaging 26 points, 11 rebounds, and 9 assists. He's also averaging 1.5 steals, so 1.5 steals, and 57% field goal percentage, 42% three-point percentage, and 85 free throw percentage. And he is 
the first player in NBA history to be averaging, I believe, 25, 10, and 8 with a 55 field goal percentage in the entire NBA history. He's the first player. It wasn't, you know, LeBron. It wasn't Russ. It wasn't Harden. It wasn't, uh, you know, any other center before because, you know, centers don't really assist like that. But he is the first center in entire NBA history to accomplish that. So he's essentially, he's pretty close, you know, aside from the box score stats, he's almost having a 60-40-90 season. You know, everyone knows about 50-40-90 club because that's an exclusive club only for a handful of players that ever played in the NBA. And Jokic is potentially a 60-40-90 player. 60% field goal, 32% three-pointer, and eighty and 90% free throw. So I have Jokic especially winning the MVP award because, you know, with the recent injury to Jamal Murray with his ACL tear, he will mess, miss the rest of the season, unfortunately. So Jokic will have to carry the Nuggets to possibly making it to the third seed as them being, you know, I believe the fifth or fourth seed. He can carry them to the third seed in the NBA, into the West and potentially into the NBA, uh, the entire NBA. So that's who I have as my MVP, Nikola Jokic. So for Defensive Player of the Year, I have two candidates, right? I have... <clears throat> and the reason I have two is because these two candidates, they, these two players, you can give a, a good, a great argument as to the reason why they are the Defensive Player of the Year. One... one reason is because of the stats the other is because we're another reason i'll get into the other player but for the first player is the jazz center rudy gobert now rudy gobert is averaging three blocks per game yeah three blocks per game not only that but when you think about defense you only think about you know steals and blocks that's pretty much it but what you don't think about is rebounding and rebounding is a big you know it's a, it plays a big role in defense because you can't if you can't get secured the the rebound off you know while playing defense your other opposing offense will always have more chances to score and with more chances to score you have less chances for offense less time in the game to score so on and so forth so rudy gobert is averaging 10 defensive rebounds per game yeah 10 that's he's already he's averaging 10 re, he's already having a double double if he just grabbed defensive rebounds. But with those 10 defensive rebounds, that's first in the entire NBA. Not only that, he's averaging, he's also seventh in rebound percentage, which means he grabs, you know, a pretty high amount of rebounds. He's fifth, he's 10th actually in block percentage, which means he does get, he tends to get, you know, blocks. Hence his three blocks per game. And he's also fifth in defensive win shares, which means, with his defense alone, with his defense alone, he wins a lot of games with just his defense alone. Now, yes, Rudy Gobert, whenever you think about him, you think about just strictly defense and rebounding. But, you know, even though he has an offensive, a certain, uh, I guess, a limited offensive skill set, which is pretty much dunks and pick and roll and stuff, his defense is so good that it can actually win you games despite the NBA being such an offensive-heavy league you know it's carried by three pointers free throws layups dunks etc etc his defense alone 
allows the Jazz, which is the number one seed in the NBA, not just in the West, but the entire NBA, to win games. But this is, you know, this is the butt. This is the booty. When he's matched up against elite centers like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Anthony Davis, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, he does tend to get cooked, you know what I mean? There's a lot of uh, highlights. Well, for Rudy Gobert's case, low lowlights. But there's a lot of highlights of him getting dunked on. Now, yes, you know, they say great shot blockers, they always get dunked on. Look at Jared Allen. Look at Miles Turner. Look at uh, all the great shot blockers. They've all gotten dunked on plenty of times. But they still are elite centers, elite shot blockers, and elite rim protectors because they do challenge those shots. And they do tend to make it hard for players to dunk on them. But for Rudy Gobert's case, he does have the numbers and the stats to back him up. But it's just whenever he's matched up with an elite center, he does tend to get fried, you know. So that's one, that's one candidate, right? The next candidate I have is... The point guard slash forward, but pretty much point guard for the 76ers, Ben Simmons. Now, it's the opposite of Ben Simmons. He doesn't really have the defensive stats that Rudy Gobert has, and they're not that good because I'm not even going to mention them. But I think he's averaging around one half steals per game, which is, you know, is pretty good. But aside from that, he doesn't really have that good, you know, that good of defensive stats as Rudy Gobert does. But as like I said, he's the opposite of Gobert. He passes the eye test. Yes, he doesn't get like I said, he doesn't get the counting stats, he doesn't get the box score stats that Gobert does. But when you watch Ben Simmons play, when he especially on defense, he's amazing. He's he's just a hound on and off the ball. I mean, if you watch him play, even against, you know, not just against the low-level guys. But against high-level guys, high-level scorers, superstars, if you watch him guard, for example, if the 76ers are playing the Clippers, he'll guard either PG, Paul George, or Kawhi Leonard. And whoever is hot, whoever is the biggest matchup, he's going to guard them. He's going to shut them down. There's plenty of games where whenever Ben Simmons is defending Kawhi especially, where he's shutting down Kawhi. Now it's usually the opposite where Kawhi is shutting down other people and he's scoring on them with ease that's where you know he gets the comparisons to michael jordan kobe etc etc but when ben simmons is on him it's a whole nother it's a whole different story same when he's guarding Giannis. when he was when they're in the playoffs the reason why two years ago the bucks lost in the second round was because of ben simmons ben simmons was guarding Giannis and Giannis was getting destroyed now yes Giannis put up great stats he always puts up great stats but whenever but whenever Ben Simmons in the game Ben Simmons is in the game and when especially when he's guarding Giannis Giannis won't can't do anything because Giannis he can't score because he can't score unless he gets to the paint because he can't shoot mid-range shots and definitely can't shoot three-pointers and he for sure can't shoot free throws so Giannis is essentially a big man who can who's fast, pretty much. So, if you 
if so, if you're someone like Ben Simmons who's tall, 6'9", 6'10", who's strong, about like 260 around there, 260, 250, and you're fast enough to keep up with Giannis because Giannis usually blows by, you know, big, slow centers, and he, you know, just overpowers, you know, smaller, fast guards. But when you're someone like Ben Simmons, you it's matchup nightmare for Giannis. But not only Giannis and Kawhi, but he clamps up, he clamps up LeBron, and not a lot of people clamp up LeBron. It's really the only famous person, famous people to clamp up LeBron are Kawhi and Andre Iguodala. Both happened to win Finals MVP for doing that, even though LeBron was averaging, you know, twenty eight. Nine and eight against them. He still they said they made it hard for him to score, but he still did. He still did his thing. But when you, when Ben Simmons is on LeBron, it's pretty. Much, I wouldn't say it's wraps because no one can really guard LeBron like that. Same with these two other players. No one can really guard them. He does make it especially hard for LeBron because I mean Ben Simmons is pretty much LeBron without a jump shot. So that's who I have: Ben Simmons or Rudy Gobert. I can't really choose between one. If I had a per, if I if I have a choice to pick who I think would win it, I'm pretty sure it would be Rudy Gobert. But I can't choose between either one. So yeah, Gobert and Simmons. So for rookie of the year, now this one is kind of up for debate, right? Because you have, you know, there's great rookies this year. You have. You know, you have the guard from New York, from the New York Knicks, Emmanuel Quickly. You have the guard from the Sacramento Kings in Tyrese Halliburton. But the main two are Anthony Edwards from the Timberwolves, from the Minnesota Timberwolves, to be exact, and Lamelo Ball, Lonzo's younger brother, from the Charlotte Hornets. Now... This is very similar thing to the past, the past few, um, the past few rookie of the year candidates uh, competitions, whatever you may call it. It was very similar to when it was very similar to when Joel Embiid and Malcolm Brogdon were up for rookie of the year, and with Zion and. John Morant last year. And the big, you know, the big thing was okay, we all know Zion and Joel Embiid are once in a generation type of talents. They have MVP potential. They have so much talent, you can already see it from there on. But Malcolm Brogdon and John Morant, they played the entire season. Now that's a, now that's not to say you know that Malcolm Brogdon and John Morant aren't talented. They're of course talented, but I wouldn't say they're on the level of Embiid and Zion. That's no shade to them. It's just you know big props to Zion and Embiid for how great they are. But for this year, between Anthony Edwards and Lamelo Ball, it's kind of the same because Lamelo Ball he only played about you know, half the season, two-thirds of the season. And unfortunately, he missed, you know, he's missed a bunch of the games, a bunch of weeks 
due to a fractured wrist, I believe. And so he's sat out pretty much the entire year. Or not the entire, for a big chunk of the year. And Anthony Edwards, he's played pretty much every single game this year. Even though he didn't start for every single game. He played a good amount pretty much the entire season. And he started for, I'd say, half of the games that he's played. Yeah. But I feel like we kind of made mistakes before. You know, I said John Morant last year, but to be honest, Zion is the better player. And Embiid is better than Malcolm Brogdon. There's no debate about that. Embiid is an MVP candidate this year. He, he was MVP. He was the leading MVP uh, candidate before he got hurt. And now Zion is one of the best, you know, I'd say big, even though he's not a center, big men because he's huge. He's ginormous. He's one of the best in the entire NBA. Now, like I said, there's no shade on John Morant and Malcolm Brogdon. But just like this, I believe the rookie of the year is LaMelo Ball, and that's no shade to Anthony Anthony Edwards. He has highlights and highlights for days. He has as much dunking highlights as Miles Bridges does, and that's to say something. So I do I, – I am going with LaMelo Ball. Melo is averaging 16 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists. He's also averaging 1.5 steals with 2 threes a game, which is great for a rookie. And those aren't even his, his starting stats. He's also averaging 45% from the field. He's shooting 38% from 3 and 79% from the free throw line. That's pretty good as a rookie. That's even good as, you know, a 10-year vet or a 5-year vet. You know, those are almost all-star numbers. But when he's as a starter, he's averaging 19 points with the same rebounds and assists, but 19 points, and he's increased his shooting across the board. He's shooting 46, 47% from the field. He's shooting about 43% from three and 81% from the free throw line. That's that's great numbers, let me tell you here right now. And especially with the, you know, with recent history with Lonzo and how everyone and their mom criticized his shot. And yes, he didn't have the greatest numbers, especially, you know, shooting shooting wise. And it, yeah, we all know his jump shot was pretty chalked. But, you know, Lonzo's turned into a, a great player. But LaMelo, especially as a starter, he was playing at another level. People compared him to, you know, his passing to Magic, to LeBron to all the greats because of how amazing he is at, you know, running running down the court, passing the ball, flipping it to players, lobbing it to bridges, stuff like that. Even his first game, he was trying to make the flashiest passes, even though, you know, he had hella turnovers. He still tried to make the flashiest passes, and he is still the most exciting rookie despite Anthony Edwards having a bunch of dunking highlights and all that. But not only are his counting stats great, LaMelo's are. But the Hornets are 7-15 since he got hurt. They are a lottery team at, at best without LaMelo playing. With him playing, they were, I think, at one point of the fourth seed. They were either the fourth or sixth seed, fourth through sixth seed, in when he was you know, at the peak of his season right now. So, yeah, they were comfortably... In the playoffs, you know, chilling. They didn't worry about, you know, not making the playoffs. But now they're 
fighting for an eighth seed with them being the eighth seed. So that's who I have. It's, you know, even though Edwards is playing more games and he is playing great right now, I still do think it's LaMelo. And LaMelo is coming back. So he might, you know, expand and, you know, play it at the same level he was playing or even better before he got hurt. So who knows? But I think, in my opinion, LaMelo Ball is the rookie of the year. So, okay. Sixth man of the year. It's not really a popular year because it's always been the Lou Williams Award. But this year, Lou Williams is playing like hot garbage. I mean, he's not even... I guess he he's probably like the third or fourth best guard. Oh, he doesn't even play for the Clippers anymore. He got traded for Rondo. That's right. But he's playing okay in, you know, in what team is that? Atlanta. He's playing okay, but he's definitely not in the sixth man of the year conversation. But who I have winning the sixth man of the year, essentially the best player to come off the bench in the NBA this year, is Jordan Clarkson from the Utah Jazz. Now, Clarkson's averaging 17 points, four rebounds, two assists, with one steal and three threes. Now, those numbers, they're not great. But for coming off the bench and getting not as many, not as much minutes as starters or, you know, some other players, that's terrific. He's also shooting 42% from the field, which is all right. He's shooting 35% from three, which is pretty good. And he's first in free throw percentage with 95%. Now, that's higher than the likes of Trey Young. Uh, Steph Curry, who else? Chris Paul, Dame Lillard. Um, the list goes on and on. Players who are so great at free throws. Jordan Clarkson, out of the qualifying players, is the best out of all of them. Not only that, he's the second highest scorer for the Jazz. And the Jazz have, you know, they have Rudy Gobert. They have first-time all-star, uh, What's his name? Mike Conley. They have a very they have a sharpshooter in Bog and Bogdan Bogdanovich. They have Joe Ingles. They have and they even have, you know, how could I forget? They got Donovan Mitchell, who's one of the best shooting guards in the entire NBA. They have him. Obviously, Clarkson is behind him because Mitchell's averaging like 25 points this season. But Clarkson's right behind him and he's coming off the bench. Now, with Mitchell's recent injury, his ankle injury, he had to get, you know, he had to get walked off the floor. He couldn't even walk on it. That's how bad it was. You know, LeBron, he had a high ankle sprain, and he played, you know, a couple minutes, made a three, and he walked off the court. So imagine how bad it was for Donovan Mitchell. Now, yes, LeBron is just, he's just, he's just built different, but still. That just goes to show you the severity of the injury. Not, you know, just by looking at the TV screen. That's a that's how bad it looked. So with Mitchell being out for however long it might be, Clarkson has to carry the load offensively for the Jazz. Now, yes, they have it on defense with Ingles, uh, what's his name, Royce O'Neal, and Gobert. But offensively, they don't really, without Clarkson, without Mitchell, they don't really have much. So, Clark, I look for, I predict Clarkson will go crazy because he has more of an offensive responsibility 
with Mitchell out, he'll go off with the remaining games and try to carry the offense as much as he can. So I predict his numbers will go up. Shooting-wise, they might go up or they might just stay the same. But points, rebounds, assists, threes, I have I believe they'll all go up because of Mitchell's absence. So for sixth man of the year, I have Jordan Clarkson. For coach of the year, you have plenty of candidates. You have head coach for the Suns, Monty Williams, the Jazz head coach in Quinn Snyder, the 76ers head coach in Doc Rivers. You even have the Brooklyn head coach and first-time first time head coach, to be exact, Steve Nash. Now, last year, I think, who won it last year? I think our coach won it last year, right? With, uh, what's his name? Frank Vogel, I think he won it last year. I don't know. If I'm wrong, whatever. The Lakers were the best team last year. But there's plenty of candidates. But who I think is the coach of the year is the Suns head coach, Monty Williams. Because because of several reasons. Because the Suns have the second best record in the West and the NBA. So yeah, it's not just in the Western Conference, but in the entire NBA, they have the second best record. Now, yes. You can say that, you know, it's really props to Chris Paul because, you know, without Chris Paul, they would probably be out of the playoffs just like just like last year. But this is Monty Williams' first time coaching too, and you need, yes, Chris Paul is essentially a player's coach. You know, he's a floor general. He's that type of player to direct everything, not just the offense, but defense as well. So Chris Paul was a big acquisition and is a big reason why they are the second bet where they're the second seed in the West and NBA. But Monty Williams, he has, you know, the responsibility to coach everyone. You know, he can't do it by example like Chris Paul. He has to do it with words, with uh teaching, with drawing up plays, with you know, leading men. Leading men to win games. Not just games, but weeks and weeks and even a month's worth straight of games that's what monty williams has done and without him they'd probably be you know not even be close to the second seed in the entire nba they'll probably be you know a middle in the pack of the west which is still good but i feel like monty williams takes takes them over the hump and like i said with jordan clarkson with mitchell's injury with mitchell's ankle injury to be exact he can easily take them to the first seed in the entire NBA. They only are a few games behind the Jazz, you know? And the Jazz, they lost without Mitchell and, of course, without Colbert and Conley. But they lost to the Lakers, who didn't have, you know, who didn't have LeBron, who didn't have AD. They lost to those, to those Lakers. So they can easily take the first seed with Mitchell being out in the Jazz. But not only that, the Suns, they only lost eight games in the last two and a half months. <laughs> Let me repeat that again. Eight games in the last two and a half months in February, March, and what we have of April already. The last two... In those 
past year, in those past months, they've only lost eight games. And I think they lost, they average around two to three losses per month. Yeah. That's, that's why. That's a big reason why I have Monty Williams the coach of the year because they have just been winning and winning and winning. They, they lost one game and they go on a seven to 10 win streak. That's why. But another reason why is because we already know uh, Quinn Snyder and Doc Rivers are good coaches. We already know that. Quinn Snyder, I believe he won Coach of the Year a couple years ago. And Doc Rivers has won Coach of the Year before, too, with other franchises. And with Steve Nash. Now, yes, this is his first time, you know, being a head coach. He's a rookie head coach. But he has five players, or he did have five players, who were in the MVP conversation at least once in their entire NBA career. You have Kyrie. I don't know if he was, but you have Kyrie, KD, Harden, Blake Griffin, and they did have LaMarcus Aldridge, who is now retired. And, you know, he's you know taking care of better things that aren't basketball related, more important things, his health. So that's, that's a big reason why. Steve Nash has has buttloads of talent. And Doc Rivers and Quinn Snyder are, we already know they're good coaches. But Monty Williams, given the expectations that the Suns had, you know, going into the year, they weren't expected to be, you know, they they weren't expected to be, you know, where they are right now. Definitely not being the second seed in the entire NBA. They're expected to be fighting for an eighth seed, possibly being a seventh or sixth seed at best, but they have the second best record in the entire NBA. So that's why I have Monty Williams, the coach of the year. Now this award doesn't really get talked about, to be honest. It's not really kind of that important, but it is big, which is executive of the year, which is pretty much which GM did the best in the offseason or the entire season. You know, who do they require? Who do they let go? How many, you know, so on and so forth. So in that case, I have the Brooklyn Nets GM, Sean Marks, as the executive of the year. And it's because he essentially traded two, two young talents, you know, promising young talents in Karis LeVert and Jared Allen for arguably the greatest offensive player ever in James Harden. That's who he traded away. Now, do we know that Karis LeVert is going to be an all-star? You know, we have a good feeling he is. Same with Jared Allen. They're both potential all-stars. But you're training two potential all-stars for, you know, a player who's been in the MVP conversation for the last half decade and who's been the best offensive player this generation has seen, you know, aside from Kobe, KD, Michael Jordan. He's been... He's been the best offensive player in the entire NBA history. Entire NBA history. They got James Harden. Yeah. That's a big reason why he is executive of the year. But he also signed two of the best power forwards of the 2010s in Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. Which, like I said, LaMarcus Aldridge is not going to be playing this season. And he is actually retired because of health uh, concerns. So his starting, so the the Nets starting lineup, they have James Harden at point guard, Kyrie at shooting guard, Joe Harris at small forward, KD 
at power forward and Jordan and DeAndre Jordan at center. Yeah, they have an all-star team as their starting five. Off the bench, they have Bruce Brown, who's like a six-foot center, pretty much. That's how he plays. Tyler Johnson, who's pretty good at shooting. Same with Timothy Luwalu Calbaro. They call him TLC, so I'll just say TLC. And like I said, they have Blake Griffin, and they did have LaMarcus Aldridge. But even on the reserves, they have Landry Shamit, who's a really good shooter. They have Nick Claxton, who's one of their promising young talents. They have Chioza, who one game had 10 points and 11 assists. And this guy who they had, you know, they gave 10-day contracts to, who they eventually signed for the rest of the season, Elise Johnson, in in his, I believe, his first game or one of his first games of playing with the Nets, he had 25, 13, and 5. That's who they have on their team. Now, you can argue that Rob Palinka should be executive of the year because, because of many reasons. He signed reigning sixth man of the year, Montrez Harrell, on a super fat discount. He should have got away more than what he got from the Lakers, but pff, that's the power of the Lakers, you know, Laker and LeBron. And that, you know, when you win a championship, players want to play for you. Look at Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Yeah, they want... Everyone wants to play for them because they want a chance at winning a ring. And that's why Montrezl signed with the Lakers. They also traded Daddy Green for Dennis Schroeder, who, now yes, they have value in their own respect. But if I were to still do that trade, I'd do it 100 times again because I still think Dennis Schroeder has more value than Danny Green. Even though Danny Green is playing pretty good for the 76ers, I still think Dennis Schroeder has more value for the Lakers, especially for the Lakers. And they also signed Drummond from the buyout market. Like, dude, what? They signed a former all-star and the reigning rebounding champ, multiple times rebounding champ off the buyout market when the Nets could have signed him. But not only that, the Lakers also still kept KCP and Marcus Morris on a discount too. They could have signed for more other places. Marquise Morris could have signed with the Clippers and played with his brother Marcus Morris, but he's still stuck with the Lakers. And so that's why Rapalinka could be, he could be executive of the year. But I still have the Brooklyn Nets executive GM Sean Marks as my executive of the year. Thank you all for listening. I deeply appreciate you guys giving my podcast a listen. You can find this episode and many more wherever you find podcasts, whether it be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or even here on Anchor FM. But hey, don't leave right now. Don't don't you press that button. Don't don't go, because your job isn't over yet. Make sure you go follow me on Instagram at discussion to get more content. And don't forget to share this episode to a friend or family. And remember, times is 20, even though it's 2021, it's a new year, things have not changed. Even new year, same year, basically. Remember to wear a mask, take a shower because you stink, brush your teeth because you stink, 
Wash your hands because you're nasty. Put on deodorant because you stink. Use hand sanitizer because you're nasty. And watch sports. All right, that's it for me. Take it easy, y'all. Later.